When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a recent poll finds most Mississippians want a new governor this election cycle, but no one candidate has secured a top spot. Then, experts are discussing how monuments can shape the perception of history and what they could represent going forward. Plus, a look into Mississippi's high rate of strokes and how folks can reduce their risk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A recent poll in Mississippi Today and Siena College in upstate New York suggests Mississippians are ready for a change in leadership. But a closer look at the data shows it's not as cut and dry as choosing Democratic challenger Brandon Presley over Governor Tate Reeves. Don Levy is the director of the Siena College Research Institute. He tells our Kobe Vance while Republican voters might not always align with Reeves on the issues, Party loyalty remains a strong force in state elections. We found some um, findings in which Mississippi voters tend to uh, support Tate Reeves, although with some reservations. Uh, By that I mean that when we ask a question that says, we call this the generic re-elect question, uh, as things stand now, would you vote to re-elect Tate Reeves as governor of Mississippi or would you prefer someone else? And right now, only 36% of all voters say that um, they would vote they would, to reelect Tate Reeves against an unnamed candidate. 60% say they would prefer someone else. But however, when we pit uh, Governor Reeves against Brendan Presley, the Democrat, there Governor Reeves uh, has an 11-point advantage. So on the one hand, um, voters in Mississippi most especially people who identify as either being a Democrat or an independent, say they would prefer someone else to Tate Reeves. However, when that someone else is Brendan Presley, then the vote uh, comes home to Tate Reeves, uh, and he uh, gets virtually um, uh, unanimous support amongst Republicans, uh, a small plurality amongst independents. That said, when we start asking about some of these issues, There's a couple of issues, for example, expanding Medicaid in Mississippi, where a majority of Mississippians say they'll only vote for a candidate that supports expanding Medicaid, um, but yet we know that uh, Governor Reeves does not support that. 
So it does seem as though Mississippi voters right now uh, are um, somewhat reluctantly supporting Governor Reeves, um, despite the fact that they don't necessarily agree with him on all the issues. Where do you think the two uh, things come into play together whenever Mississippians are considering a new governor, but also at the same time are not committed to the predominant opposing candidate in the gubernatorial election? Well, it it shows that um, given the recent um, electoral politics of Mississippi, uh, a Democrat has not been elected um, governor uh, since, I believe, 1999. Um, So Brendan Presley, if indeed he is the Democratic uh, candidate, and that's the only Democrat we tested at this point, um, faces a tough uphill climb. Um, despite the fact that voters, for example, support expanding Medicaid, um, they support reinstating the ballot initiative process, um, they support eliminating the grocery tax, um, yet, you know, those are issues that um, seem to point voters more towards Presley than towards Reeves. But when we just say, are you going to vote for Reeves, the Republican? or president a Democrat, that's where the voters come home, most especially amongst Republicans. So it seems that party identification um, trumps the standing on um, many of these uh, issues. I mean, when we just pit the one single issue by itself, are you in favor of or opposed to Mississippi lawmakers voting to accept federal funds to expand Medicaid, the program that provides health care to low-income families and individuals, overwhelmingly, 66% of Mississippians support that. In fact, a majority of Republicans, 52%, say that they are in favor of that. Still, um, when it comes to who are you going to vote for, at this point in time, it seems that um, party identification uh, trumps where voters stand on these issues. And, and we see that that more than likely will play out in the election ahead, you know, to the degree that even uh, though the election for governor of Mississippi will take place in 2023, 2024 is not that far away. You know, and and you look at how Mississippians view Joe Biden versus how they view Donald Trump, and there's an enormous advantage to Republican candidates. A majority of Mississippians have a favorable view of Donald Trump, overwhelmingly so amongst Republicans. Um, but a uh, almost two-thirds of Mississippians say they have an unfavorable view of Joe Biden. So to whatever extent Tate Reeves runs a campaign that nationalizes the election um, and um, runs against um, the Democrats, runs against Joe Biden, um, that will benefit his campaign. Uh, so it, it, it does seem as though... Um, at this point in time, Presley, only down 11 points, is doing quite well. Um, uh, but Presley's got to make the election about the issues where majorities or pluralities of Mississippians side with him, while Reeves, I think, is simply going to make the race. Uh, he's going to argue that he's done a good job. He's going to argue that um, you know Mississippians would prefer Republican leadership to that of a Democratic leadership, that uh, I, I would predict he will link to Democrats in Washington, D.C. who are unpopular in Mississippi. That's Don Levy, director of the Siena College Research Institute with our Kobe Vance. 
Coming up, a dive into how monuments can shape history and how future statutes could better reflect the communities where they're located. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Monuments have long and storied paths in Mississippi, and recently there has been a growing debate on what monuments should or shouldn't be on display. Many cities throughout the state have statues commemorating the Confederacy, some of which have been relocated or torn down. In the Delta, civil rights markers have repeatedly been vandalized or shot at for the messages they share. William Sturkey is a historian and author of the book Hattiesburg, an American City in Black and White. He will be heading a panel discussion in Jackson this week about the significance of monuments and what they mean for communities. He speaks with our Kobe Vance on the issue. This is part of a series that Zocalo um, is doing across the country, funded by the Mellon Foundation. The series is called How Should Societies Remember Their Sins? And it's a two-year-long two event where um, the Zocalo Public Square is publishing a series of essays and then also having four public forums around the country. And so this is the second of the four public forums, and it's called What Kind of Monuments Do We Deserve? And so we're going to bring together people who are doing work about commemorative history, a historian from Tougaloo, and then we're also bringing together a um, visual artist from the University of Memphis, and we're going to brainstorm about this idea of what kind of monuments would best serve our society and in the future. What have been your thoughts as we've seen so much debate around these monuments over the past few years, um, especially ones that are tied specifically to the Confederacy and remembering those who were proponents of slavery? We want to talk about that and about you know what our society has been going through in the last several years. I'd say especially since 2015 with really a huge uptick in that conversation after after Dylan Roof, of course, in Charleston. But we also want to move beyond it to think about not just taking things down or not just having debates about should we take something down or rename it, but what should we actually build? And you know what what do future citizens deserve? And what do children who are coming up in our society and living in the South or the West or wherever, you know, what are the types of things that would best serve them? And we also want to move beyond, I think, just the idea of the sort of soldier on a pedestal, you know? Like that's one of the reasons that Zocalo has, has recruited such a diverse group of people is that, you know, what is the artwork? Like what are those where, – where, where should these things be? You know, the Confederate monuments tend to be in basically one of two places. And so we're going to really brainstorm with a lot of ideas about, you know, talking about what our society has been going through, but then also what would be an ideal vision for the future as we think about what new heroes do we want to honor and what are the values that we want to preserve for future generations. What do you see as the significance of monuments and preserving history? 
You know, one thing that monuments do is they establish ownership and belonging, in my view. And I think that was always one of the original intents of some of the Confederate monuments that were put up, especially at courthouses, you know, to establish ownership and and demonstrate who belongs. And so I think in revisioning what those might look like, and, you know, we can even revisit what purpose they might serve. But to me, that's what monuments have done for a very long time. If you listen to kids talk about monuments, that's what they really grab onto. And I can't help but think with this conversation about what monuments do we deserve, I think about children. And I think that is really at the center of what we want to really interrogate. You know, is there something that can capture all of our stories, that can make all of us feel welcome? And and perhaps that's maybe asking too much. But I don't think the people who, you know, established Confederate monuments were really asking that sort of question when they did that roughly 100 years ago or so. What are your thoughts on some of the more civil rights-focused monuments we've seen pop up over the past several decades? I know one of the most recent examples is a monument of Emmett Till that was unveiled just a few months ago in the Delta. One of the panelists from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center, and they want to do all sorts of different things, including establishing a park. And so that's like a different type of monument that we're going to explore. Um, But yeah, the civil rights era, you know, it's... I think that we're at a point in this country where the 1960s as a whole is really becoming mythologized in a certain way. You know, like there's, there's all sorts of stories from the 1960s. There's all sorts of stereotypes. But it's becoming so far in the past that we can really start to be able to celebrate, especially as a lot of these people who were so important in that era pass away, you know. And I think that that's one of the questions we want to explore as we move further and further away from that era especially you know, who are the people, what are the places that are going to really become so iconic in our country's memory to the effect of, you know, like a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson or even one of these founding fathers that is so revered today? You know, like who are the people? Obviously, there's King, but there's more than just Martin Luther King Jr. And I think that's one of the things that I'm excited about really exploring in our conversation. As I understand it, y'all will also be bringing the former marker for Emmett Till's murder It's a monument that's been telling a story in Mississippi, but has been under attack for years and years as people have defaced it, um, shot at it. What are your thoughts on being able to bring that as an example? What are y'all trying to tell there? And also, what do you think that says for the emotional response monuments can bring out of people, whether good or bad? I'm not exactly sure what I'm expecting with that, to be honest with you. I think emotionally for me, It'll be pretty disheartening and even perhaps a bit frightening to see, but I really don't know. You know, I think some of these things are so deeply psychological and emotional that it's really hard to say exactly what it is that some of these monuments and markers and things like that are trying to do. But I think exploring the question of why it matters so much that men would get in trucks and drive, I don't know how long, and go into their guns, into the marker, I mean, that is what we really want to explore. So I'm very excited to draw on our panelists for, for their reactions as to you know, why these things matter so much in our society and why they're so charged. William Sturkey is with Zocalo Public Square, a national organization, and will be leading a panel discussion in Jackson this week about the importance of monuments. Coming up, May is National Stroke Awareness Month. 
and the state leads the nation in cardiovascular disease. We'll have more on that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. May is Stroke Awareness Month, and doctors say Mississippi has one of the highest rates of cardiovascular disease in the nation. MPB's Lacey Alexander speaks with Dr. Clinton Wright, Associate Director of the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Strokes. He says it is possible to prevent a stroke with proper diet, exercise, and tracking vital signs. In Mississippi, there were about 2,000 stroke deaths in 2021 uh, as an example, but in the United States, almost a million people have a stroke every year. Um, Every 40 seconds, someone has a stroke, and every three and a half minutes, someone dies in a stroke. So it's a really big problem. And, you know, the, the good news is that it can be preventable if people know what the risk factors are and get them under control. Yeah, elaborate on those risk factors for me and tell me what some symptoms are, some early symptoms that people can catch before they suffer some really bad stroke issues. The biggest risk factors are things like hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, smoking, drinking too much alcohol, and then there's things like having a healthy diet and not getting exercise, things like that. So all of those things are absolutely critical. And, you know, a lot of people... Things, you know, hypertension is, you know, the silent killer. A lot of people don't know that they have high blood pressure. They don't know they're walking around with it, and then, boom, they have a stroke, and it's too late, you know. So we really want people to get good medical care, be aware of their risk factors, and more importantly, make sure that if they have those risk factors, that they're under control. But in terms of the symptoms that you asked about, you know, it's really important for people to get medical care immediately if they're having a stroke. And so the types of symptoms that people should look for and be aware of are things like numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, especially if it's on one side of the body. Confusion, suddenly, you know, trouble speaking, trouble understanding speech, trouble walking, dizziness or loss of balance or or incoordination, trouble seeing with one or both eyes, or severe headache with no known cause. If you or someone that you love has those symptoms, immediately call 911, get into the hospital, because you only have between three and four and a half hours to get life-saving treatment for people that are having one of those strokes, and again, after that, they can't get that medication. So it's really important to get in right away. In Mississippi, there's a very large black population. Can you talk about maybe some of the symptoms that people of color are more susceptible to than their white counterparts? Well, you know, I think the the issue there is really uh, having access to care. We know that people with lower socioeconomic status are at higher risk of having a stroke. That's not, you know, of course, race or ethnicity-based. It just depends on, on, you know, access to care and having, you know, medical care and, and, and getting your risk factors under control. So we know that people in rural areas, for example, are at elevated risk of having a stroke compared to people in big cities. But people in big cities that live in poorer neighborhoods 
have less access to care than people in, in wealthier areas. So it really is a lot of it is about about that. But we also know that uh, Black Americans um, are at elevated risk of having a stroke because they have more risk factors. So a lot of times they have more hypertension, you know, or my, more diabetes, and those things, you know, are really strong risk factors for stroke. That you know, the good news is we can bring under control. But again, it comes back to having that medical care. So it's not so much about their their race. It's really more about the access to care. And is there a certain age that Americans should start getting themselves regularly screened for these um, symptoms like you're talking about? Risk factors for stroke include age. And so as people get older, you know, their their risk of stroke goes up. But if you have the risk factors, so for example, uh, black men are 70% more likely to die from a stroke than a white man. And so that gives you an idea. Black women are twice as likely as white women uh, to have a stroke. And so um, it's really important for them to recognize what their risk factors are and get them under control. Younger people um, that have those risk factors are still at risk. When we look at a United States map, where are you seeing this problem hit the hardest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. And we see a lot more stroke in the southeast of the United States. So that's what we refer to as the stroke belt. Uh, because it has a much higher incidence of stroke compared to the rest of the country. And that includes, you know, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. These are all uh, states in this region. Um, And we're trying to understand, you know, why the stroke belt is at greater risk. But um, there is also a higher proportion of rural residents relative to other regions. Um, and those rural regions have higher stroke incidence. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, having uh, medical care, you know, and getting those risk factors under control. Um, but is that southeastern stroke belt also potentially tied to, you know, they call it southern comfort food. Do you see a string of diet issues in the southeast? Yes, absolutely. And I think there's, uh, there's an issue with diet that people eat, you know, eating a lot of fast food, drinking a lot of soda, of course, contributes to the development of diabetes, Eating too much uh, fatty food, uh, you know, red meat, things like that, increase your risks. Um, and, and, and so eating vegetables, eating fruit, you know, whole foods, those are all really important to eat. And grains, you know, and, and there's, uh, there's a lot that one can do in one's diet. And then exercise, you know, uh, getting 30 minutes a day, five days a week of exercise is, is recommended, you know, and a lot of people don't do that. And then the other one, of course, a big one is smoking. Uh, smoking is, you know, very common in the stroke belt. Um, people really need to understand that they can quit. There are medicines to help people quit, and those medicines you can take them for two months, and, and once you're done with that two-month period and you've been quit for, you know, for almost that whole period, you don't go back to it, and it, it really is successful. Is there any other Mississippi-specific or Southern-specific data or things that you've seen that you'd care to share with us today? Well, I think the most important thing, you know, for your, for your listeners really is to understand that if they have risk factors, they need to get them under control. I think the most important thing is for people to know their numbers. If you have high blood pressure, measure your blood pressure at home, write it down, take it to the doctor and say, you know, is this good enough or do I need more medication? The same with diabetes, the same with cholesterol. It's really uh, important for people to take control of their own medical care and, and push the medical system to help them. Dr. Wright, thank you so much for all of this excellent information. We really appreciate you taking time with us today. Thanks so much for having me. 
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.